And God's word, it says about itself, it never returns void. Okay, it always works. And in Hebrews, it says that God's word is living and active. So the expectation today as we get in the word of God is it will work. And this is the next phase of our worship. So lean in uh, and let's see what God would do. If I were to just read the passage that we're going to look at this morning and walk off the stage, God would work. Some of you are hoping I would do that. <laughs> but we're going to spend a little bit more time on it uh, than that. But, uh, but God's going to work. And so it's the next part of our worship. Um, we're going to talk this morning about a feast. Uh, and I, as I was thinking about how do I start, like how do I kind of intro uh, this, uh, I began thinking back about a year ago where my wife sort of and me fully participated in what I would call the anti-feast. Uh, I did the Whole30 diet a year ago. Anybody do the Whole30? Raise your hand if you did the Whole30. You guys are brave. Uh, I did 30 days. My wife did what she calls the Whole10. <laughs> and I said, that doesn't, that's, that doesn't really count. But she's, she's you know, Googled it, and I think it does. Some people call it that. So, so you know, you go through these different uh, periods of your the way your body feels. You know, in one phase, you're... You really want sugar or another phrase, you would, you know, you would throw your children down a flight of stairs for a piece of bread. It gets, there's really intense feelings. But one of the really funny things that was happening, uh, there is a drink uh, that is referred to as the champagne of the Whole30, and that is the LaCroix soda. <laughs> LaCroix, it's funny, uh, whoever has marketed LaCroix is a genius, because they sell LaCroix in different flavors. <laughs> Anybody who's tasted LaCroix? Okay, quite a few. And I can tell you, having tried all the flavors to find one that tasted like what it said it was, they all taste exactly the same. Uh, so I looked up uh, jokes about LaCroix flavors, and, and these, are some of the, these are some of the new flavors. <laughs> Uh, it's called, what is called transported in a truck near bananas. <laughs> hint of hint of lime, you know, you open the can in first, just a second. There's like, that was lime. And then it's over, you know, <laughs> single Skittle dissolved in water, <laughs> shy watermelon. Imagine like a strawberry, but with really low battery. <laughs> And this is my favorite one. When you open a can of LaCroix, someone in another room shouts a fruit name at you. <laughs> so this is, the, this is the soda all during, when I heard about this, this is the soda that I wanted to try uh, when I was doing the Whole30. I don't know if it's real. I suppose it is. I, there's like a price tag under there, but uh, that's sort of my, that's like, I'm like, bacon's good with everything. This is the next logical step, so... <laughs> So we're talking about a feast. We're going to look in Mark. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. This is a famous passage. Probably everyone in this room, almost everybody's heard of it. Uh, we're going to dive into a couple parts of it that, uh, that maybe get glossed over um, when, you, when you go over it. Here's what it says. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, 
Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So the apostles have gone out and have Jesus has sent them out in pairs. Uh, and they are, they're, they are reporting back all that's happened. This is their time together, their special time with Jesus. And they've just had this adventure, and they're coming back and telling them all the things that have happened. And, and it's one of those moments where it's a sweet reunion, and they can't wait to be with them. And then, and, you know, they're tired. It's like the end of a trip. And people start coming around, uh, and, and, and it says that, that they wanted to pull away from the people and get some time. And, and here you see about Jesus, this first piece of his compassion. Jesus understands people so well. Remember, he's fully human. And we talk about Jesus being fully God all the time, which is true. He's fully human and fully God. But he understands what it's like to be human. And we'll, we'll hit on that a little bit more in a second. So they want to pull away from the crowd and get, get some time, get some rest. They're tired and hungry, and Jesus understands that. Now, it says, they went by themselves to, in a boat to a solitary place. So they got on a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I'm going to show you a picture of the Sea of Galilee I've been there. I was there a little, uh, not quite a year ago. It is spectacularly beautiful. The word sea doesn't quite capture because it's not that big. It's kind of, it's like a large lake. But the reality is you could stand on the shore and see the direction the boat was going. And if you were determined, you could run over to where they were headed. So that's what happens. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd... He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, if you're the disciples, imagine something like this. You're exhausted. You want to pull away. And all of a sudden, you, you arrive on this boat on the shore, and there's all these people. You've just been with people. You're peopled out. <laughs> I get that. Um, and Jesus, instead of saying, hey, not now, we're going to pull away and get some time, starts to teach these people. Um, and, and I think this is, I try to think of it an example of what this would be like. Think of it this way. It's a Saturday afternoon when you have no plans, okay? The work is done. For me, I would sit on the sofa in my chair and like watch college football. Like think of that perfect day. And you're like, we're just going to chill this weekend, just our family, it'll be great. And there's a knock on the door, and the in-laws have showed up for a surprise visit. Or, or so, you know, just like, it's like, hey, somebody else coming, that's, you're going to need to expend emotional energy. And that's where they're at. They're like, man, we don't want to do this. This is the second part uh, where you see Jesus having compassion. Now, here's, here's what, why this matters. Jesus has compassion for the disciples, so he pulls everybody away. And then Jesus has compassion for all the people at, at the, at the, uh, when, when they get to the other side of the lake. And he begins to teach them. And here's the passage I want to read from you. This is not in the slides. From Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is, he's, remember, Jesus Christ is also full of human. We do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. 
but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here is is what this means. There are prayers that you pray that when you pray them, you think, I've I've prayed this a million times. And, And God's probably not interested. There's also confessions that you've had to make over and over and over. And inside you're like, is this gonna, you know, is this one time too many? The answer is no. Like there is always space for you to come to God. He is never bored with you, never bored with me. He is never exasperated with you. I'm a father, and when my kids asked me the same question when they were little 900 times, I got tired of it. You know, and when they would we commit the same offense against one of their siblings over and over, I would get frustrated. God does not. His compassion is endless. His grace is endless. First question for you this morning. Where in your life do you need this extra grace and compassion from Jesus right now? Think about that for a second. I'm going to leave that up there. Let it linger. Where do you need this extra grace and compassion? Picking up here. It says, By this time it was late in the day, so His disciples came to Him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five. Five loaves and two fish. Now again, they've been there for a long time, the disciples and Jesus, and Jesus has taught this crowd. He's had compassion on them because it says they're like sheep without a shepherd, didn't know where to go, just wandering. And they've been with them for a long time, and now it's time for the day to end. And again, the disciples are like, hey, let's, let's make sure they get some food, send them away. Um, and Jesus says, how about, how about we, t- we handle it? You know, we'll take care of it. And, and they're saying, hey, we don't have enough money to pay for this. This isn't a good, you know. And Jesus says, go find out what you have. Now, what's going on here is you see Jesus. Remember, he can do miracles whenever he wants. You know, when God created the world, he said, let there be light, and it was so. He doesn't need our help. But what you begin to see here is as he is working a miracle, He is inviting them to participate in it. God is inviting the disciples to participate in what He's going to do. And this is God's method. A little bit earlier in the chapter, I, I mentioned this already, Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Gave them powers to heal and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Strategically, I work for a ministry. This is a terrible idea. 
They don't even, Jesus hasn't even died yet. There's, they, they don't know the gospel. They don't know about the resurrection. He sends these guys out two by two and gives them a bunch of power. Now we would say, we would, in our, in our world, we'd be like, hey, there gotta be a training program. We gotta explain all this sort of stuff. But Jesus' method, God's method is people. And, 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 you know, really he could be way more efficient without us. That's a fact. But that's not how he works. He always uses people. God uses people to accomplish work. There is no plan B. It's us. This is how he's going to work. Where is God inviting you to participate in his work right now? Where is God inviting you to participate in his work right now? Again, people are always his method. Now these guys... uh, participate in this miracle. And I don't know the answer to this. I don't know if the people that were being fed, it says there were 5,000. They counted men at the time, so it could have been 10, or some people say 20,000 people. It was at least 10. Um, I don't know if they knew, if the people that they were feeding knew it was a miracle or not. They just received the food. It's, and so the, the, the disciples, as they're handing out the baskets, we'll read this in a second, the disciples, as they're handing out the baskets, I don't know if people are aware, but the disciples knew what was happening. It wasn't glorious work that God asked them to participate in this part. This was not, they didn't get a lot of attention or anything, but they're handing out the baskets. It says, Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they, th- they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. It says they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. I cannot imagine what would it have been like to be the disciples here. You know, he, you know, you have five loaves of bread and two fish. At the beginning, when they're handing out the things, was it like, oh, here's, you know, you get like a very, very small piece of bread and a couple of scales, and then you come over here in a little bit. And then each time you go back to distribute the rest, there's, there's more. You know, and by the end, they're just ripping off chunks and handing people, giving them full loaves, a whole fish. I'm not sure how it worked. But, and I, but think about their experience. God invites them to participate in this thing, and then they are watching God work, literally. And they can see it. They're touching it with their hands. And they're seeing the result of all these people feasting. Now, part of this is telling us that God is our provider. That's true. We know that. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, it's called our provider. God meets our needs. But this is bigger than that. Okay? It says, they all ate and were satisfied. Now, I looked this word up, satisfied, uh, in the Greek, and it's not like, it's not full it's, it's better than full, okay? It's like, it's almost 
too full, but it's just really richly full. Uh, I think of Thanksgiving Day in the afternoon where you got to go get the sweatpants, okay? It's that kind of full, like deeply satisfied. You're not hungry at all, you know, and you're just reminiscing about the meal you had. And that is the way that God wants to deeply satisfy you. It's in this, it's in, it comes from knowledge of himself. And, and here's, in Psalm 34, 8, here's what it says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, if you think of something like honey, okay, you know, I can tell you what honey tastes like, but I haven't had it for a long time. For some of us, when we say, taste and see that the Lord is good, are you remembering from this morning before you came to church in your time with God? Did you taste and see that you experienced God during worship? Or are you looking back at maybe six months ago, being like, yeah, I remember that. When's the last time that you really tasted and, and see and saw that the Lord is good? That is where his satisfaction comes in. That's what he, that's his desire for us. And, and God's desire to satisfy us is not uh, weak. It is whole. Now, what's interesting is the disciples at the end of this, each of them ends up with a huge basket full. Now, the number 12 is significant. There's 12 tribes of Israel, and I think that's part of what this is demonstrating. But each of them has more than they started with. You know, they had, they had five loaves and two fish, and at the end they had 12. They each had a big basket. So probably when this rather large, you know, happening ended, they all went back and they had their time together and they ate. Now, Here's something that's important to point out. Participation in God's work and satisfaction, the deep filling of God, the abundant life that He wants for us, they tend to go together. There were people in that crowd, maybe, uh, that maybe had food with them. We know from uh, the Gospel of John that was a little boy that had five loaves of bread and two fish. And the disciples went around and tried to say, hey, who's got what? Well, it's possible that there were people in that, in that passage that had food. And as the disciples asked, they sort of said, well, I'm not, I don't want, you know, we, there's not enough for everybody. I want to make sure that we get what we want. Now, it doesn't say that. I, I'm not sure. And I, I don't want to tell you that it's true, but it's possible. And those people held on to what they had and didn't get to be part of the, the miracle. Now, they still were blessed by it. They got food. You know, and God's going to work whether you participate or not. There's a, the phrase you hear is provenient grace. His grace, like God is kind and loving to people. He lets people that, that, that don't follow Him have good things in their life. But when you participate, it's a, it's a whole different thing. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I, we talk about this with Young Life leaders and Young Life staff all the time. Here's what it says. 
Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus says the key to deep satisfaction that he wants for us, Jesus satisfies, is us being willing to lose our own life. Pick up your cross, lose your life, then, then you get this deep, abundant life in Christ. Participation and the deep satisfaction, the full, rich life that God offers are linked. Now, again, I want to challenge you, where is God asking you to participate in His work right now? Think for a second on that. Where is He asking you to participate? Now, I I know a lot of folks in here, um, kind of the question is, I don't have a lot to offer. You know, a lot of folks, you might be sitting here thinking, well, you know, it sounds good, Joe. Sure, okay. Uh, But I'm not sure what to do, and I don't have much to offer. Remember the disciples in this miracle, they handed out food. You know, they, they they didn't have a seminary degree. You know, they didn't have a bunch of money. They just went and handed out the food, and they got to be part of it. They were blessed by it. Um, I want to share with you one story as we close. Here's what it says. In the year 1885, a small family of three moved to the city of Philadelphia. Mother, father, eight-year-old daughter. On the first Sunday they were there, the little girl was dressed and sent to Sunday school at a small Baptist church around the corner. It was a tiny, rundown building. There weren't enough hymn books, there weren't enough Bibles, and there weren't enough chairs. So many people had come that the little girl couldn't get in. A tall man with black hair came along and asked her what the trouble was, and she told him, He lifted her onto his shoulder, and there up above the whole world, she rode inside in triumph. When she got home, she told her parents that the church needed a bigger building, and she was going to save money for it. She got a piggy bank, and as she earned a penny, a penny here, a penny there, doing errands around the house, she put them in the bank. Now, diphtheria in those days was an insidious and familiar child killer where we take get vaccinated for that now. And within a few months, this little girl contracted diphtheria and she died. Before the funeral, her parents broke open the piggy bank and inside they found 57 pennies. The service was held at the small, run-down Baptist church around the corner And afterward, the parents gave the 57 cents to the pastor, Dr. Russell Conwell, 
remember that name, Dr. Russell Conwell, toured a new church. So their building fund had 57 cents. There was no vision for a new church at, th- at that time, but Dr. Conwell took the 57 cents to his board of trustees, laid it on the table, and told how he had received this first gift towards a building fund. The trustees turned out to have more imagination than he inspected. Trustees being by their nature a fairly conservative bunch. They were stirred by the vision of this little girl, and they authorized Dr. Conwell to try and purchase a certain piece of property on Broad Street. Conwell went to the owner of this property and showed him the 57 cents. The owner was so moved that he took the 57 pennies as a down payment and accepted a mortgage for the balance at a low interest rate. Well, one thing followed another, and ground was broken on Broad Street in Philadelphia for what became the Temple Baptist Church. You ever been to Philly? This is a famous place, which seated 4,200 people. And out of that congregation, actually out of Dr. Conwell's study, where seven pupils gathered evenings after work, out of that 57 cents grew Temple University, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, the Samaritan Hospital, and Garrison Hospital. All because a little girl who never lived to see any of it gave 57 cents, which was everything she had. So when you ask yourself, you know, what can I offer? How do I participate? Here's the answer. You times God can do anything. You, it, you, he can do anything. And He is asking you, inviting you to step in with me. Again, let, let me review real quick. God's compassion for you never runs out. You can't wear Him out with a prayer request or confession. The second thing is he inviting us to participate in the work he's doing around the world. That we, we are his people. God's plan is his people. There is no plan B. He always uses people. And the third thing is he deeply satisfied. And this participation and this deep satisfaction in God are linked together. So he calls us to act. I'm going to pray. Uh, and then uh, we're going to have some music and we'll have some time for our uh, tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, thank you for this little girl, for the little boy who gave up his five loaves and his two fish. And God, um, thank you also that your word never returns void. God, I pray uh, for us as a body of believers here. Lord, I pray... Uh, There's things that you wanted to communicate to each person, and I pray just for your will to be done. Thank you that your word never returns void. And I thank you for your great compassion that you want to use us and that your desire is to satisfy us deeply. Thank you that you times us can do anything, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now we'll go ahead with our tithes and all.